some Sundays, we don't need to advance to new content. But we just kind of need to hit the pause button and talk about what we've already covered. You know, when I was in school many, many years ago in high school, I was in a different kind of a school, just called an ACE school. And, um, and we worked through our workbooks. And when we go through the content, <clears throat> we would come up to a section and it would say, stop here. We would stop and then it would say, checkup. And it was time for a checkup. And what a checkup was, it would be basically a little test. Okay, let's go over what we've already talked about to see if it's sinking in. Like how well is this resonating? And so that's what I want to do today. Today isn't about covering new material so much as it's like a checkup. Okay, where are we going at? What, how is what we've talked about resonating? Basically, there's two kinds of school of learning that were in the Bible days. There's a Greek style of learning, and the Greek style of learning was more cognitive, was more dealing with um, getting it in their head. And Greek style of, of learning was if they knew it, <clears throat> they learned it. If they could recite it, if they could repeat it, if they could pass the test, then they learned it. That was the Greek model of learning. The Hebrew model of learning was more an apprentice style. It wasn't as concerned with just the cognitive. It was if they could do it, then they learned it. And basically for the Hebrews, okay, if you knew it but didn't do it, then you really didn't learn it. Like for instance... You go to your child and you look at their room and you're like, what happened in here? He said, didn't I tell you to clean your room? And they, they say this, you know, didn't I tell you to clean your room? I know. Oh, well, if you know, then we're okay then. But... It's not a matter of knowing. Like, I know that I should clean my room. Okay, check, 100% for you. You pass the test, no. That's the Greek model. The Hebrew model is, okay, you knew it, but you didn't do it, fail. That's the Hebrew model. So today we're gonna do a checkup, essentially. I wanna go over what we've talked about because we have the opportunity Friends, we're dealing with, I believe, some of the most transformative opportunities, truths in our talk about the Holy Spirit of God, things that can empower and enable us in our personal walk with Jesus Christ. And it's time to hit the pause button and do a little checkup. And I've got some questions for us as we talk about this together. So truth number one, let's talk about this. Truth number one. And today, 
I got a little surprise for you. I may not even preach over, and I'm going to tell you why. My wife is flying in right now from Florida, and I haven't seen her for three weeks. I might even end early. <laughs> and during my prayer, I might be out the back door. I love you, but I missed her. I really do, and my kids. So um, anyways, let's preach. Here we go. Truth number one. We've talked about this. Um, we've talked about it, and it's significant. <clears throat> and here's what it is. God sent his spirit because we need help. We talked about this a few weeks ago. God sent his spirit because we need help. That's truth number one. Now remember, this was in John 14, 6, and, and Jesus was dealing with the disciples. And, and, and here's what he said to them in their greatest time of need. As he was exiting, he said these words. He said, he, speaking of God, God the Father, he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. It's the spirit of truth. So here's this revelation of Jesus Christ. He's telling the disciples, who at this time were fumbling and bumbling and struggling, <clears throat> after three years of his time with them, he says, okay, I know it's really tough right now, but God's going to give you some help, and it's the spirit of truth. He's going to come and give you enablement. He's going to be for you what you need. Now, Robert Coleman, in his book, The Master Plan of Evangelism, writes this, and it just kind of gives vivid picture to what these disciples were like. Listen to this. <clears throat> Robert Coleman says this. What is more revealing about these men, the 12 disciples, <clears throat> is that at first, First, they do not impress us as being key men. None of them occupied prominent places in the synagogue, nor did any of them belong to the Levitical priesthood. For the most part, they were common laboring men, probably having no professional training beyond the rudiments of knowledge necessary for their vocation. They were just vocational training guys. Coleman continues, Perhaps a few of them came from families of some considerable means like Zebedee, but none of them could have been considered wealthy. They had no academic degrees in the arts and philosophies of their day. Like their master, Jesus, their formal education likely consisted only of the synagogue schools. Most of them were raised in the poor section of the country around Galilee. They were just regular, ordinary poor dudes except maybe for one i'm gonna have you guess apparently the only one of the 12 who came from the more refined region of judea want to venture guess judas iscariot by any standard of sophisticated culture then and now they would surely be considered as a ragged aggregation of souls. One might wonder how Jesus could ever use them. They were impulsive, temperamental, easily offended, had all the prejudices of their environment. In short, Coleman says, these men selected by the Lord to be his assistants represented an average 
cross-section of the lot of society in their day, not the kind of group that one would expect to win the world for Christ. These guys were totally vanilla at best. I wrote down they were soft, tossed around, timid, fearful, quiet, intimidated, full of excuses, vacillating between loyalty and lies, between devotion and denial. Instead of pillars of the church, they were more like pillows of the church. And when Jesus promised the Holy Spirit, they didn't say, nah, I think we've got it. They said, please. Like, I think they knew we need help. And so here's my question for you. This is the next level, and we just need to interact on this thing this morning. Here's, here's where we hit the pause button. Time for a checkup. Here's the question for you this morning. <clears throat> to what level have you sensed that you needed the Spirit's help? Can I ask that? To what level have you sensed that you needed the Spirit's help? Now, I'm just... I know we're in church. I know we're in a big room. I know you're surrounded by hundreds of people right now. But here's, can we just really think personally? Like really, do you rely on the Holy Spirit for anything? Is there a sense where you feel vulnerable? Where you feel needy? Where you feel out of your comfort zone? Where you feel that you can't do it? Where you feel if someone doesn't come and give me assistance right now, I just might totally screw this thing up do you feel that i mean it's kind of like <clears throat> it's kind of like peter in the bible there there was an account where he was in a boat and jesus was walking on the water to them and peter says wow you know i would like to come out there and walk on the water and jesus said come on out and so he started stepping out on the water and and there was you know he was doing it and then all of a sudden here comes the waves and he got scared and he started to sink and go under and could you just imagine the vulnerability at that moment and he cried out to jesus you know i need help you know there's no point that you can recover yourself <clears throat> and and so you know jesus whoop, grabbed him and pulled him up now Everyone on the boat was cool. You know, they thought, hey, we didn't need that help. But you know what? They never stepped out of the safe zone. And so the question, have you ever stepped out of the safe zone? Have you ever needed that assistance? Have you ever understood the vulnerability, the desperate need for enabling, the dependency where you have no other recourse except I need help, just like these guys right here. And I just want to, if, if we're being open and vulnerable, and I'm asking you to answer this question, I'm just going to answer it for yourself. I have a number of situations where it happened for me, and I want to give, give you a few right now. Like, let's just open it up. I'm going to tell you. Some of these I've told you in the past, some I've not. I remember one situation. This is back when I was in ministry in New York, and I had, um, I told you about this one before, I had 
the local hospital, they called me up and they said, Pastor Conover, we need someone to come over here. There's been a tragedy with a family. They're in ER and we, we need, they've asked for a pastor. We cannot tell you what's going on because of HIPAA laws, but if you come over here, we'll let you know what's going on. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll come over. And I, I came over there. <clears throat> um, I went into the ER and I'm standing there and there's a group of doctors and nurses and they're all standing around. And they pulled me into their circle and they said, on the other side of that door is, is a wife and a mom. And here's her name. And they said she just lost her husband, her son, and her nephew in a house fire. And she's asked for a pastor to come and pray with her. Now friends, let me just tell you something. There is no class. There is no training. There's no prior experience. I felt so vulnerable, stripped, bare, incapable, unqualified to grab that door handle and walk through that door at that minute. And in fact, more than that, I felt I just might screw this thing why me? There's plenty of other pastors in this town. Why in the world me? I'll tell you another situation. It's about six months later. <clears throat> the same hospital called me. Pastor, we need you to come over here. There's another situation. I should have been a little more gun shy by then, don't you think? I said, okay. <clears throat> and they said, on the other side of the door is a mom and dad, and they just lost their son, their 19-year-old son, in an automobile accident. Little did I know when I opened the door that their 19-year-old son would also be in there. And mom would be stroking his hair and just weeping. Have you ever felt completely inadequate? Like a fumbling, bumbling idiot. These, this is what I'm talking about. This is when you just say, God, I need help. Like, I say like what shouldn't I say I I'll share with you the third one and it's one that we've worked through together <clears throat> since I've been here and it was two years ago maybe not all of you were in on this but um 
I just want to be open. And it's when one of, one of my girls decided it was time for her to step away from our home and step away from God. And as a dad, I wanted to control everything. You know what? If I take this away, then maybe that'll change your life. If I do this, then maybe that'll change this. And I just wanted to control. And then I'm just going to be open with you. Of course, I'm thinking in my head, and this is where God had to strip me of everything in my life. I'm thinking in pride. What are church people going to think? What are they going to think about me? What are people going to say? And I felt so vulnerable and exposed and out of control. And I couldn't change anything in her heart. I couldn't change anything in her life. It was completely out of my grasp. And this is where you, you just are empty And you open yourself up and you realize, I need help. I need enabling far beyond me, far beyond any class I've ever had, far beyond any training I've ever had. I need help. God, I need the Holy Spirit in her. I need some help over here to help me say things I should and probably to help me not say things I shouldn't. I need help. And I can say two years later that through all of that, and, and we're all a part of a resurrection story because this girl loves Jesus. And I mean, we're seeing, and she just told us the other day, um, and my wife, she called me the other day. She, she went out and um, was chatting because my Bethany's down in Florida too. And she said, my Bethany goes, I just love being able to talk to you about this stuff. She said, um, she goes, Mom, I took the long route, but I arrived at the right destination where God wants me to be. Now, I wish I could say, and here's three three-step formula for all of that to work in everyone's life. And I'm just here to say, you know, baloney. My one-step formula, I needed help. It's life outside of the safe zone, friends. Have you been there in your marriage? Have you been there with your kids? Have you been there in helping a friend who's struggling? Have you been there in maybe connecting with your neighbor? Have you been there in ministry when someone said, hey, would you fill in this area? And you're like, I don't do that. Have you been there with a personal struggle or addiction or a challenge? I need help. I need courage. I need wisdom. That's why God sent his spirit. Because we need help. We need help. It's okay to be dependent. In fact, it's great. Because then God does better stuff in us than what we can do on our own.
Can I might even get an amen or something like that on that one? You know, it's true. God does better stuff than what we can do in our own control. Okay. I need to keep going or else I'm going to break my promise and ending early. Truth number two. God sent the Spirit for gospel, not personal advancement. We, and we talked about this last week. This was so riveting. <clears throat> because in Acts 1.8, it just blossomed. Jesus had pulled his disciples together and, <clears throat> and he said, you know, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And, and they're thinking, great, so are we going to be able to rise to power now? They were thinking, your Spirit's going to come and we're going to be a powerhouse. We're going to overcome Rome this is going to be for my personal advancement. And Jesus says, nah, not quite so. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses. So Jesus was saying, not personal advancement, gospel advancement. <clears throat> and the Spirit isn't into our personal advancement as much as we are. You know, He's not into our bank account as much as we are, He's not into our house or our car. He came on a mission, the same mission that Jesus gave back in Matthew 28. It was a mission for multiplication, a mission that we all become disciple makers, every one of us, a mission that every Jesus follower is a multiplier. And so here's the question that I want to ask every one of us, every individual here today. Think about this. <clears throat> In what ways are you reliant on God's spirit for gospel advancement in your world? So just think about this. I want to get specific, and I'm going to meddle. We're going to go there. In what ways are you personally today reliant on God's spirit for gospel advancement? So that infers we're involved personally in gospel advancement. How have we been involved in gospel advancement and how are we reliant on God's spirit to do that? So things that are out of our comfort zone. <clears throat> because he says, you will be my witnesses. He didn't say you will witness at special events. He says your identity is you will be my witnesses. This is who they were more than just an action that they performed at a special time. And he certainly didn't say you will hire a witness so that you don't have to do it. And gospel advancement is everything. Remember, I, I, um, when I started this series a number of weeks ago, I, I, I came out with this thought where um, I said, um, you know, some people may ask, do I need the Holy Spirit to get to heaven? And I, and I said, you need the Holy Spirit to get to Walmart. <clears throat> well, it's true. Because that's gospel advancement happens at Walmart. I remember one time I went to Walmart and I walked by the book section. This woman says, Pastor. I turn and, and she says, I can't believe this. She goes, I was looking for a Bible and I didn't know which kind to buy. And I just stopped and I prayed, God, would you help me to figure out what kind of Bible to buy? And I open up my eyes, and you walk by. 
Isn't that something? I know. And then <clears throat> gospel advancement happens at the, at the restaurant. In the way you respond to your server or the people around you or if you pay someone else's bill. When you get your car worked on, gospel advancement happens there. It happens with your neighbor. Who you sit by on the airplane or with your coworker, or how you respond to them. Everything is gospel advancement. If we're all disciple makers, everything at every moment is gospel advancement. Everything. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit's enablement all the time to get us thinking how am I positioning myself for gospel advancement? How am I responding? Because I believe the Church of America has boxed itself in when it's become dependent on just an event or on a methodology or just on a program or a style. And there may not be the need that they sense for the Holy Spirit for every day, at every moment for gospel advancement. I want to show you some pictures. These are really cool. So um, a couple weeks ago, our staff got super treated to go to a sheep farm by friends of ours from this church, from our church here. And so these are some of our staff that were able to go. And uh, man, was it a blast. We had a great time. And here's some of the cutie pies that were out there uh, in, in, the, um, in the field. And... Um, Pastor Jonathan, I think, was the only one that was able to catch one and pick it up. But, man, aren't they cute? They really are something else. Now, so we just went through lambing season. I'm not even going to pretend to be a sheep expert, um, but I know that we just went through lambing season, and hopefully I don't screw any of this up here, but um, uh, lambing season was like in uh, the end of March and, and April. And, um, and if I'm not mistaken... These people had like, you know, maybe 150 or 175 females on the farm. And um, isn't that a cute one? Look at that. So they had like 150, 175 females um, before lambing season. Now, are you ready for this? Um, at the end of lambing season... I think there were about 400 and some that they had um, on the farm. And if I'm not mistaken, the averaging of this is that if um, their mature females have 2.3 lambs per birth. Now, all you moms out there on Mother's Day are like, praise God, that's not me. <laughs> Amen, moms? Yeah, I know. I, I, I hear you. Yeah. So I'm going to tell you two things that, that um, our farmer, Brett, mentioned that really stuck out my mind. Here's, here's two things. It stuck out my pastor mind. I loved it. He said, you know, he goes, everyone looks at the sheep and the lambs, and they see the grass out in the field, and they, and they see everything above the surface. He says, what matters to me, he goes, is everything 
under the grass. He says, because the nutrition in the soil makes for healthy food that they eat. And if they eat healthy, then they are healthy. Now, as a pastor, my mind goes ding, 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 and I end up thinking, you know what I end up thinking, don't I? And I'm thinking if they eat healthy, I need to be thinking about what do our people take in? How important that is. And then the last thing he said, which was really significant, he said <clears throat> that the viability of the farm depends upon the multiplication of the sheep. Look at that one. She gave birth to that one that morning when we showed up. But you know what? If the lambs don't re if the if the sheep don't reproduce, the farm goes out of business. All the sheep need to multiply. And if they don't, there, there's nothing. I mean, they, they end up selling, selling them. I mean, they don't have 450, and then next time they triple that, and they'll have 1,200, and then next year they'll have 3,600, and, you know, the following year they have 10,000. I mean, they end up selling them. So the viability of the farm is all the sheep need to reproduce. Now, let me just tell you what happened up here. It went ding, 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 ding. That's the way Jesus set up the church. That's the way he set it up. We're all multipliers. He said, go and make disciples. We're all disciple makers he said, we're all salt. He said, we are all light. A friend of mine says, it's not the paid professional holy man that does it. It's not the celebrity. It's not the orator. It is all of us. People say, how many programs does your church have? You ready for this? How many programs does our church have? We have... Are you sitting down? You know how many programs our church have? We have 550 programs our church has. We have 550 programs that operate seven days a week all throughout Traverse City and Grand Traverse County and Kalkaska and Mancelona and Buckley and Benzie, and all over the place, because you know what our programs are? It's us. That's God's program for multiplication. Sheep multiply. And so his desire and his passion is that all of us are reliant on God's spirit for everyday gospel advancement in our world. That's his passion. Now, I remember seeing a, um, a plaque in a workplace. You probably have seen it. It's kind of goofy, but it says, um, rule number one, <clears throat> I don't know if you remember this, rule number one, the boss is always right. Remember that one? Rule number two, if the boss is wrong, refer to rule number one. You've seen that one. Well, here's this one. Truth number one. Truth number one. And we've given them out here. 
God gave us a spirit because we need help. He gave us a spirit because we need help. Truth number two. God sent the spirit for gospel advancement. And we say, but I'm not good at that. Refer to truth number one. Refer to truth number one. That's why he gave us the spirit. So we could do that. So I want to give you three things to think about as we finish up. <clears throat> number one. And I mean these, friends. Number one, um, would you pray for your church leaders? Pray for your church leaders right now. This is so significant. Um, you know, COVID has... COVID has really been a curveball. And, and I can thankfully see the culture of our ministry moving out of that more and more, and I'm thankful for that. I really am. And so as, as we begin to think and strategize of how we fill gaps, and we do have ministry gaps, we understand that. Here's our goal and our prayer. We desire... To offer 550 programs seven days a week to reach our world. We desire to genuinely equip all of us to be a gospel advancing, disciple making movement in our region, in TC and beyond. And so those are the priorities by which we want to fill these ministry programming gaps. It's to equip us to be that. To be who God has called us all to be. So pray for your church leaders. We want to be effective at that. We don't have it all figured out. But we just don't want to be overly dependent on a few people to do all of it. We want to be a movement together. All the sheep multiply. All of us disciple makers. All of us gospel advancers. All of us salt and light. Pray for your leaders. Would you do that, please? Can we do that together? Here's number two. Declare dependency. Let me free you from feeling you have to have it all figured out. Declare dependency on God. You don't have to control everything, you can pray. You don't have to manipulate everything, you can just obey. Be sensitive to God's nudges. Resist sinful impulses that come your way. Declare dependency on God. Trust Him. Obey Him. And follow where he leads. Even if it's uncomfortable, do it. Here's number three. Keep your eyes wide open for gospel opportunities. They are all around. They're all over. They're at the restaurant. 
They're where you shop. They're in your home. They're in your neighborhood. They are in your work. And you may not always bat clean up, but some sow, some water, God gives the increase. If the gospel process is a one to 10, you may move someone from two to three. Maybe move someone from six to seven. Not everyone moves them from nine to 10, and that's okay. But be a part of the gospel process. Your visible witness, your smile, your love, your relationship, your words, the way you respond to a tough situation, it's all a part of the process God's using in the lives of others. Everyone is a part of gospel opportunities and gospel advancement. Let's all be a part of gospel advancement. So would you stand with me? Let's keep these two truths in mind in our checkup. In our checkup. We need help to be a part of gospel advancement in our world. That's why God has his spirit in our lives. That's why he's here. And the last thing I want to ask you with your eyes closed for a moment as you look inside. If you're looking at this saying, man, that sounds interesting. But I don't know where I'm at with Jesus. Here's the last thing you need to think about. It all starts with Jesus Christ. It all starts with the cross. It all starts with believing, knowing, accepting, embracing the fact that he died on the cross for our sin. And if you've never done that, today's a day. That's where the power starts. That's where he gives you his spirit. That's where the relationship with Christ starts. That's where you're forgiven. For eternity. Believe that Jesus died for you, for your sin. And say, God, Jesus is my forgiver. And he's my leader. I'll let him rule my life and take over from here forward. May that be your prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, Help us to step away from the comfort zone, from the safe zone, from the same zone. And God, help us to step out into the gospel advancement zone. The areas where we need you to enable us to do things we otherwise would not do on our own. Help us to speak out to live out what you have called us to do every day wherever we find ourselves. And God, I pray this, that you would create a gospel-advancing movement as a part of East Bay Calvary's culture. May everyone be all in for the cause and sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we pray this together in Jesus' name and for his sake. And all of East Bay said, amen. Amen. It's our prayer. Remember, moms, no chores today. Amen, moms.
That's you. Have a great day. Photo booth back here. Carnations. Have a good Mother's Day. God bless you.